Hello and welcome to another episode of Our Athletes. My name is Michael Raziel and I'm the host of the show where I get to interview Olympic athletes on their story and paths of the games. Today, we have two-time Olympian, Sarah Scherer. She is of USA Shooting. Sarah is super cool. She's got a lot of things going on. She actually just recently retired. As of recording, she retired a little bit before it. So a couple months old now, but she is an incredible person. She's a lot of cool things still going on and is really excited for everything else in her life. So this is mostly just going over her two times in the Olympics, everything before it, and now everything that's going on after. So without further ado, Sarah Scherer. All right, today, special guest, Sarah Scherer, USA Shooting. Lots of S's. Look at these alliterations. I love it. Born February 12th, 1991. She's from Woburn, Massachusetts. That's also fun to say. Started shooting at the age of nine, started competing at the age of 11. Went to TCU, home of the Horn Frogs, where she was a two-time NCAA champion and even won an individual title while she was there. She won five medals at the Junior Olympics, and there's a fun story I'm excited to listen to about that. Uh, not any of the medals, ironically enough. And uh, Sarah represented us twice in the 2012 and the 2016 game. Sarah, thanks for hanging out with us today. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for having me. Appreciate it. No, the pleasure is all mine. So if you don't mind, Sarah, <laughs> telling us, um, I know you told me before, obviously, like three seconds before I hit the record button, that you actually were born in Salt Lake City, moved to Woburn. So I guess just tell us about your upbringing and kind of how you eventually made it into shooting. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so like I said, I was born in Salt Lake City, Utah, but only lived there for the baby months <laughs> of my life. And uh, around the year, you know, age of one um, was when we moved to Massachusetts and uh, moved into the Woburn area. Uh, really, really cool area. It actually was, you know, convenient in that the uh, the first range that I ever shot at and the, the one that I kind of started training at was actually in Woburn as well. It's literally just down the road. So, you know, plans worked out. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Not that my mom was thinking about it at that time or anything. Um, so yeah, so grew up over in a really cool area, uh, kind of a suburb, you know, just north of the Boston area. And um, really, you know, growing up really heavily involved in, in other sports. Um, we had a Christian athletics ministry program that we were involved with. That was really fun. I personally loved soccer. And as a little kiddo, I thought, hey, if I was going to do anything professional, it would be soccer. Mm -hmm. Of course, that didn't happen. But <laughs> it definitely gave me the idea of, you know, pursuing my the best I could be, you know, kind of started that in myself. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, you know, over the years we, you know, we're trying different, like I said, trying different sports, different things. And then, um, my brother actually was really interested in, um, just firearms in general, really interested in going to the army and really wanted to kind of pursue that. And so my, he talked to my mom about it and she was a little tentative, um, about the whole thing, but she was like, Hey, you know, I would rather have my kids, you know, be very comfortable about around guns, know how to handle them safely, be able to just have that knowledge and have that awareness. That's so much better than, than no clue. I don't even know what to do in this mm -hmm. say if a situation were to arise. So long story short, um, we both joined the uh, junior program at the Massachusetts Rifle Association, um, MRA, which was, like I said, just down the street from where we lived. And um, it was really a perfect opportunity just teaching the groundworks of fundamentals of shooting, really understanding, you know, what is gun safety? How do you, you know, do this sport in a way that's really safe, really fun? I remember like the first, you know, couple times shooting I was so excited you know like so I was nine years old so as a little kid it's something that you're you don't necessarily understand you, you know you understand as a sport and then when you're introduced into in a firearm you really have to understand and just have that respect there mm -hmm. and that was something I really loved like you would taught that respect 
And um, yeah, so that's that's kind of the origin story a little bit. I love it. It's a nice origin story. I mean, the move uh, all the way across the country is definitely a big one, but you probably don't really remember too much of that anyway. So no, it doesn't no. really even matter at that point. <laughs> so, when, um, so you even told me, as we said, uh, you know, you started shooting around nine, you started competing around 11. What like what do competitions like look like at that point? And what really drove you to say, this is something that I want to compete in rather than just yeah. you know, continuously uh, occasionally have fun outside of school? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, you know, for me, one thing that really got me, you know, to that next level interested in a sport was just the mental aspect. And so even at the age of 11, like I really loved that mental challenge. You know, I could tell we would do like, you know, drills with, with um, some pressure, right? And so when you're understanding the difference between just shooting normally and shooting under pressure, you know, your heart rate gets up a little mm -hmm. bit, your heart, blood pressure gets a little bit, you get a little nervous, a little shaky. And so trying to, to understand how my body worked in that way and then learning to control that, I really, I really found that fascinating. Um, and so that was kind of what geared me toward the competition side. Um, and, you know, thankfully the, the range that we were a part of had a, you know, traveling team and all that jazz too. And so, you know, I was a part of that um, over the years. And so being able to just gain experience, I think that was the biggest thing, you know, when I tell young athletes is, you know, use as much opportunity as you can to train in the competition setting because that's how you're going to get confident. That's how you're going to learn about yourself. And so at the age of 11, like I said, when I started, um, you know, I remember my very, you know, first few competitions. Uh, one of them was at this, uh, it was in the a town of Reading. And uh, oh my gosh, I remember being so nervous. But I remember feeling very good afterward. Like even if it didn't go perfectly, still I had a lot of fun in that competition zone um, and so that kind of got me started and then like I said I joined the traveling team over the years and uh, kind of worked my way up you know just kept um, that competition now yeah, thankfully my brother was doing it with me too and so we had a little bit of that friendly competition mm -hmm. he was always a little bit better than me for a long, quite a few years and then I then I caught up um, <laughs> so it was okay and uh, so that was also really helpful too because when we were training you know, we would coach each other, we would, you know, really have that healthy environment of like, hey, I'm trying this today, you're trying this. And then we would learn from each other as well. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And then the other, other interesting thing was my mom, we ended up having to teach my mom, because oh. she started competing with us. And that was really funny. That's pretty fun. <laughs> That's a family affair. I love it. That's fantastic. Oh, yeah. So uh, let me take a step back and, and get an understanding what discipline, um, tell us about your discipline and how it yeah. might different, uh, differ from some of the others because I have had a few um, USA shooting members on the podcast already and they've each done something different. So I'm curious where you, uh, where you fall in that, in that um, discussion. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I uh, competed in two in, in the Olympics as well as national competitions in two different disciplines. So 22 rifle shooting and then air rifle shooting. Um, so at the collegiate level and at the Olympic level, um, they're basically the, the air rifle is all all standing okay so that's like the offhand style you know you're standing and you're you're you know the shoulder plate is in your shoulder and you're freestanding you know you don't have support and then um in 22 is there's the main three different positions that you have are prone standing and kneeling and that's where it differs a little bit so you're implementing different types of equipment like slings you know different like i said just different equipment pieces. Um, and so I competed in both over the years. And um, there also is a smaller group of, um, of competitions that do three position air rifle shooting. And I competed in that as well. But that's I kind of stopped at a certain point just because that's not typically in the international field mm -hmm. as mm -hmm. much. So um, very yeah. cool. 
And, and how do the competitions work? Is it, is it target based? Is it, and, um, yeah, yeah, just, I guess, I don't know how to ask the question. So I'll just let you answer as I (laughs) said. No, for sure. So it is target based. Um, so you have, I'm going to talk specifically about the collegiate and the NCAA and and then Olympic just just to keep mm-hmm. it clear, because it does differ a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so at both the collegiate and at the Olympic level, uh, what you're talking about at, for um, for air rifle is a target that is like just above a size of like like a silver dollar, you know, kind mm-hmm. of a size of a coin. Um, and then that's 10 meters away. Okay. And then the very center is um, you have all the different rings, you know, getting closer as they come, come down to the center. And the very center is a dot about the size of a 12 font period. And that is the 10. Um, and so at the collegiate level and at the Olympic level, the expectation is to hit the 10 a very large majority of the time. So for instance, at the collegiate level um, and at the national and, and, and not, not at the Olympics, but at the national level and the collegiate level, I've shot perfect scores. So at the collegiate level it was a 600 and the national level is a 400. So it's 40 consecutive shots of hitting that perfect center 10 um, in the national level. And then I also did the 600 of them. So 600 points, which was 60 shots hitting that perfect 10. Um, so that's that's kind of like the the standard, right? Mm-hmm. A perfect a perfect shoot, and uh, and then for the uh, fifty meters uh, competition is the twenty two shooting in the Olympics. Twenty two shooting in the NCAA's is at fifty feet. So the, there's a difference mm-hmm. um, in the length that you're shooting, um, but they're both very similar. The target the targets are comparable um, in size. Um, at the collegiate level, again, it's it's similar similar size of the target. And then again, the 10 is at the very center, et cetera, similar size. At 50 meters, um, this 10 is a size of like a dime. And so mm-hmm. you imagine a dime 50 meters away, that's what you're trying to hit. And you also have the wind factors, you have the sun, you have to think about all those other elements that play into your accuracy as well. Um, so that's a little bit about the targeting system. And then for 22 shooting, you have the three different positions. Uh, for women, we shoot. Uh, the 20, 20 shots in each position. And so it's a total of 600, again, max points. And then in air rifle, in the Olympic version, it is a total of 40 shots um, as well. So like I said, there are some differences, a little bit of discrepancies between the two styles, which was challenging in a way when I was going between NCAA mm-hmm. shooting and the Olympic, I was kind of switching back and forth. So you have to kind of trash train a little bit of a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could yeah. see that. I mean, you said 50 meters, right? Five zero? Yeah, five zero. Yeah, that's doing a little math in my head. That's pretty darn <laughs> far. So uh, I can completely understand how why that target needs to be a little bit bigger. But it's incredible mm-hmm. that you've been able to shoot perfect scores. I mean, I don't care where. And, and it sounds like a lot of it, I mean, obviously there is a physical aspect, but a lot of it is on the mental side as well. And, mm-hmm. and I mean, just understanding, as you said, the wind, the sun. Um, again, speaking with Lucas, heartbeat is a huge thing. Breathing, yep. when to breathe, when not to breathe. Um, yep. You know, so all these things, it's very interesting watching them on TV and then being able to talk to you um, and really get a good understanding. So I think that that is pretty cool. So um, back to your story. Thank you for that. I appreciate it. It's always nice to get a rundown yeah. of sports that I don't see on a daily <laughs> basis. I can tell you everything about baseball, but that's right. not what we're here to do. Right? So um, going back to your story a little bit, at the Junior Olympics, um, yeah. You won five medals, a few golds, a bronze, a silver, I think were uh, somewhere in there. So clearly from a young age, you, you had a knack for this. What is it like at that level? Um, is, is the competition fierce? I mean, you're at the Junior Olympics, so I assume it's good competition, but it's speci- uh, specifically in your sport. I mean, what's the competition like? Who are you going against and how 
um, how do you grow with the competition along the way, mm -hmm. I guess? Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's a really good question. So it's, it's a bit of a, you know, it's a bit of a journey, really. There's been, there's been lots of ups and downs, um, you know, that I had in my career. And so, you know, I think like the story I was telling you, you know, just before um, we hopped on here, you know, my, my very first entrance really into the national field um, and into the Junior Olympics, I competed and I didn't go as hot as I wanted it to go. And I ended up being second to last place. <laughs> so it was my very first time. And I was like, oh, my gosh, there's so many good athletes. And, da, da, da. and I ended up being, you know, second to the last. And the other funny thing in there um, was that I, I actually got to meet the, the girl that was just behind me. And she was really sick. She had, you know, some type of a stomach thing going on. So it really wasn't uh, her fault. Yeah. I should have been last. <laughs> uh -huh. that's, not, that's not a good look. But it's okay. You were a kid. We yeah, can only hold yeah, so much against yeah, you. Exactly. So, you know, that's where I started. And then, you know, over the years, but that gave me a taste of, you know, seeing that competition at that level, which is like, wow, like this is what you can do. This is the level that I want to strive for. And so, you know, that kind of gave me a little bit more fire of just, you know, this is where I, this is what I want to do. I want to compete at this level. I want to win some medals. Um, so every single year, you know, I would go to the Junior Olympics and get a little bit better and I come home again with a little bit more of that fire, a little bit more ideas as well. Of, you know, I would, I would watch the other athletes. What are they doing? You know, what kind of equipment are they using? Because I didn't start with good equipment at all. I started, you know, the very, very bottom. I was wearing uh, work boots for, for a couple years and some weird pants that had like these, they weren't, you know, supportive. They had just like this little, uh, they're like carpenter pants, you know, they had like, these little knee pads on them. Mm -hmm. It was quite terrible looking anyways. Um, so, you know, again, starting at the bottom with equipment and working my way up as well. And I think over the years that the really interesting thing was, you know, as, as I had moments that didn't go very well in my competition, it never like frustrated me enough to the point where I was like, I'm going to stop. It always gave me a little bit more of just, okay, I'm going to try something different. I got to learn more. I got to expand just what I know about the sport, what I know about my body, my positions, et cetera, to get better. Um, and so that's kind of how I worked through the ranks. And then, um, you know, it took me definitely some, some years to get up to where I was winning, winning medals. I, you know, one of my first like junior, junior threes, what we called them. So that was a younger generation, you know, um, tier group. And, uh, and then I kind of worked my way up over the years. And then I, I won, you know, one of my first medals on the podium, the main, the main podium. And that was just really cool just because I had worked so hard and I had seen Ben from the bottom and worked my all the way up. And so it was just kind of a good recognition of those years of hard work and how much effort, you know, and how much passion I'd put in. Um, Cause it takes a lot of time to train for, for any sport. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's a lot of your life. hundred percent. Yeah. I could literally only imagine, I will never know. And I will just continue to talk to you and other athletes to learn a little <laughs> bit more about it. So, um, so from that young age, what then when you, so you went to TCU, so we're hopping from Salt Lake city to Woodburn, Massachusetts, back down to Texas Christian university, go frogs. Mm -hmm. Um, what, go like, frogs. what was your, was your decision to go to TCU centered or based upon shooting? Because in speaking with other athletes, I've found that there's really not too many shooting schools universities that have a shooting team, I guess is a better way to say it. So was that a huge influencer for where you picked to go to school? Yes, it definitely was. Um, I think the biggest thing for me, you know, academically, I really wanted to be in the medical field. So, mm -hmm. you know, I kind of had two things. I wanted to go to a school that I could, you know, continue training with um, and work my way up again in the NCAA world. And then also too, I wanted a school that would support my academic, you know, career. 
the way it works in shooting, you're never going to make a million dollars. You're never going to really make any, <laughs> any real profitable amount in the shooting sports. And so, you know, I tell, always tell young athletes that, you know, still as much as you love and have a passion for sports and athletics and shooting, still pursue high, high level academic levels as the best as you can do, because that's honestly what's going to get you to other things that life, life is around ball. It's not just a little path, little way, you know? And so it's, it's really about finding that balance between the two. Um, anyway, so I wanted to find that in my collegiate world as well. And uh, so I decided with TCU and, you know, really impressive academic program. Um, I, I was actually started pre-med and then I changed some other things and now I'm a registered dietitian. So I went to the uh, nutrition world. Anyway, other thing, other story. We'll get um, there. We'll get there. Yeah. Don't worry. <laughs> and then, uh, so, but really the, the school um, I knew would support me for my passion as a, as a whole human being, not just as an athlete and not just in academics could be both. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that was, you know, again, just what, what I needed for, for yeah, myself. it gave you both sides. Um, it gave mm -hmm. you everything you were looking for, fulfill you. I mean, college is meant yeah. to create us into real people in my opinion. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, however you have to do that, you do that. And it sounds like you need a little bit of both to make mm -hmm. sure you got to where you were looking to go. If you don't mind, uh, you already explained kind of the competition in college, but what yeah. is, I guess the, landscape look like you know, with how many schools are there that have shooting teams and and how does how is the competition again not at the specific um you shooting at the target but i guess just the general sense like you know are there powerhouses like alabama football like how, how like just <laughs> right. explain a little bit about that so we have a good understanding as well yeah yeah for sure yeah so we, we would we would train the season would go from a couple weeks in a little bit more than a couple weeks about a month or so in to the school year and it actually goes full year until spring, basically spring break. So it's a really long um, wow, yeah. season for a sport. That's a, it's one of the longest. Um, and then we always would keep compete on the weekend. So uh, some of our top competitors specifically uh, always given us a good running for the money was university of Kentucky, uh, West Virginia, um, university of Alaska, Fairbanks, um, Ole Miss was another one. Um, there's a, there's a bunch of different teams. And so um, really just, you know, we, we did have kind of our top, main competitors, but we mm -hmm. compete or we'd compete really with everybody mm -hmm. at some point. Um, and so just because like you said, it's not, there is, there aren't a hundred teams, you know, there's a smaller amount. I think when we were competing in the division one, I believe there were maybe around 15 or so. I would have to, I would have to mm -hmm. do the math and add it all up. But, um, you know, we would compete you know, kind of every, every single weekend against a new team, or we would mm -hmm. you know, sometimes even have meets where multiple teams would compete mm -hmm. against each other at the same time, all mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. So that's kind of what the landscape would work, how that kind of worked. And then, um, like I said, we would travel. And so as an athlete, you know, you're expected to travel most weekends. And that was something that really, you know, again, to the back to the commitment level, when you're in college, you know, most things with friends are going or going down on the weekends mm -hmm. and you're mostly gone. <laughs> and so it's kind of, again, you know, where, where you're really, your passion for, for your sport really takes over because you're, you just recognize, you know, this is something I want to do. There are some sacrifices you're going to make. Mm -hmm. They're worth it. I'm so glad I made them. But at the same time, you know, it's, it was a big time commitment. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. And there's, there's always more parties. Uh, I promise you that. Yes. And I'm sure if you were looking for it, you'd find something on a Tuesday too. So no, yes. I kid. Um, what was it like? Did you have to go to Alaska or did they mm -hmm. usually come to you? I mean, what was it yeah. like? That's gotta be a far, far yeah. ride and just getting there and it doing is. all that. I mean, what's that, what's that experience like? And, and how mm -hmm. were you able to take in the experience of all these other schools 
and, yeah. you know, pick brains, meet people, shake hands. How, how did mm-hmm. you go about doing all that? Yeah. Yeah. So it was really cool traveling to Alaska. One of my, one of my favorite kind of trips memories. Um, so our first time there, I've got to go twice. Uh, one of our first times to the, the Alaska Fairbanks. So Fairbanks, right. As you know, is like, it's not just on the coast. It's, it's really kind of deep in Alaska. Okay. And mm-hmm. it, I mean, it's not super North, but no, but it's, Alaska, it's not, it's Alaska. not on that little, yeah, it's <laughs> no. not on that little panhandle Island part. It's, it's in exactly. it. Okay. Yeah. It's really in Alaska. Um, and so it was really funny. So we, it was in the middle of, uh, I'm trying to think it was middle of winter pretty uh. much. And, um, they were joking though, because the moment we got there, like the weekend we got there, this insane heat wave came through. And so it was this big running joke that the girls from TCU brought the Texas heat. (laughs) (laughs) That's cute. That's cute. What is a heat wave in Alaska (laughs) in winter? Are we talking like 35 degrees now? Well, it melted everything. So oh, okay. it was wow, weird okay. because yeah. they were like used to everything not mm-hmm. being ice. Well, it, they were used to not being wet on the roads, but it, it melted. And then it actually froze overnight and it turned to ice. So it was mm-hmm. like a little bit of a problem. But anyways, mm-hmm. so yeah, just above freezing, it was a heat wave. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's so cool, though, getting to go to all these places. Um, you know, obviously, again, as you said, the season's very long and the commitment's there, but you, you get something out of it, too. Oh, I always think sure. that that's oh pretty goodness. important. So yeah. very cool. And it sounds like you yeah. had a pretty good time at TCU. Um, again, mm-hmm. two-time national championship uh, champion. Uh, you got your individual title while you were there. So clearly, you weren't messing around. Um, <laughs> and then that kind of rolled into the 2012 games. When, uh, what year did you graduate no, so you were in TCU while you were mm-hmm. going to the Olympics, correct? Yeah. Because mm-hmm. you and I are both born in the same year, so I did a little math, realized, <laughs> cool, that's how it works out. What, yeah. um, like, what, it, what was that like, I guess, the yeah. whole qualification process? You're a freshman or a sophomore at TCU at this point, and then realizing, mm-hmm. hey, I'm going to get to go to the Olympics. How was, how was that whole process? And your teammates, how did they help and, and everything yeah. around that? Yeah, so – so I had been on the national team um, even prior to getting to TCU. And so I had, I had traveled to world cups and, you know, world championships at that point, et cetera. So, you know, that was, it, it was a part of my world already, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and, um, and I was in the running, you know, to um, I, that, that quad, as we call it, the four years of the Olympic cycle. Um, I had won um, the United States, a quota spot when I won my gold in Chang Wan at the, one of the world cups. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, it was, like I said, it was in, it was on my radar mm-hmm, to be mm-hmm. able to go to the London Olympics. Um, it definitely <laughs> was was a little bit crazy, uh, just because. So that was my um, again. Let me do the math right. That was my June 2012 was my junior year because I graduated in 2013. So it was my junior year, and we qual we were doing one set of qualifications in the fall, and then one set of qualifications in the spring. And so I was in I was in the top running. Um, you know, for making the team after the fall. And then it was quite a few months, you know, where you're kind of waiting and getting prepared for the second round. And um, so, you know, again, just, just pressure balancing, you know, the academic world, the collegiate athletic world, and then my national team athletic world. And um, definitely a lot of pressure, you know, just because it was, it was kind of the expected thing. Mm-hmm. I would say that was out of the two, the two Olympics that I qualified for, that was, more tough for me just because it was, it was novelty, you know, it's mm-hmm. a new thing I'm not used to uh, a whole other level of, of pressure and, and, you know, 
nervousness I had to overcome. Um, but then the second, this, the other problem with, I actually got sick right before oh, no. the second part. And so there's this great image. Uh, I don't know if I have it somewhere. Somebody took it at some point, one of my friends, um, where I'm, I'm shooting on the line, you know, and I'm, I'm looking down at my target and I literally have a box of Kleenex next to me. <laughs> like literally it's one uh-huh. of my- equipment and then a bag of like cough drops <laughs> that's fantastic oh man so bad. and that was honestly you know looking back it probably helped me be sick because I was so focused on 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 you know recovery and doing as much as I could to to not cough while I'm about to shoot my target mm-hmm. you know and things like that where it it put my it took it took up a lot of my mental space mm-hmm. so it kind of almost I feel like even took some of the pressure off even though I still had the expectation that I would qualify that's you know the level I kind of expected myself to be at the same time it changed that a little bit mm-hmm. um, and then I remember so I qualified for the team and then I remember coming home and flying on the airplane back from, um, you know, where the competition was. And I remember sitting, I was in the window seat. I was looking and I was like, tomorrow's Monday. I have to go back to class. Like, <laughs> like I just did this great thing. Come on. Why do I have to keep doing that? That's too funny. Yeah. That's, that's a pretty good, that's a pretty good realization. I like that. I mean, it doesn't happen to everybody. I can promise you that one. So that is too funny and you did it and congratulations again. And, and so you get to go to the London games. Um, Tell us about that. I mean, the experience of going, the opening ceremonies, the competition there, what everything was like and how um, that kind of helped you grow as a person as well as a a shooter moving forward. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So London was just amazing (laughs) as London always is. Yes, that's true. Ben, it was fantastic. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) They, they honestly did such a good job with the Olympics. Uh, There's, that's like, again, a whole other story we could get into, but just overall really respected how they handled the Olympics. It's challenging. It's a challenging event to host anywhere. Um, Anyway. So it was just awesome in that way. There's, there were so many really like high excitement moments. Um, I remember one, even just like getting our, our, our clothes. I'm like trying on the jacket yeah. as the big, you know, mm-hmm. Olympic team logo. First time that I'm putting that on, you know, and um, just that kind of stuff. You know, it's just the little moments. Um, I was really excited about getting the, we get like the Oakley um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. glasses. I was like, oh, these are so cool. You know? <laughs> just silly, silly mm-hmm. things. But, you know, they're, they're kind of the moments that you can, you'll think about. Um, and then, uh, so the way it worked for opening ceremonies for me, so our competition, women's air rifle, is actually the very first competition in the Olympics that is awarded a medal. Mm-hmm. And so what the really cool factor about that, you know, you're the, you're the first set that win the, the medals. The challenge with that is you don't, uh, some athletes do, but if you, most, most times, if you go to the opening ceremonies, which is the night before, you get back insanely late mm-hmm. um and so it was one of those things where i opted to not do that mm-hmm. and i was like you know i would so much i would so much rather focus on my competition no walk away with i put in my best effort mm-hmm. i'm so proud of, of what i did then opening ceremonies opening ceremonies you know heard from lots of my olympic friends that it's the coolest thing in the world and i totally recognize that it's for me my mm-hmm. passion was competing you yeah, know and absolutely like, um, so for both, both Olympics, actually, I chose, I opted to not go to the opening ceremonies, um, but I chose to stay the whole time so I could go to closing. So that was really cool again, cause you're competing and then you finish very quickly. Um, the shooting sports are in the beginning. And so you're, you get the rest of the time to, 
you know, meet really cool people from mm -hmm. around the world and, you know, celebrate with them as well as just experience the city that's hosting it, et cetera. Mm -hmm. um, so that was really cool. One other interesting thing, I don't know if you, you read this at all um, as you were looking at any of my stories on there, but I had an injury right before the London Olympics. And um, so it was actually one of those things where I was, again, in a different place than I thought I was going to be, you know, mm -hmm. it was again, gearing up to do really, really well and so forth. And again, the injury happened, unfortunately, um, right, right before. And it, I was still able to compete. I was still able to do my very best. I made the Olympic final. Um, but again, it changed my experience a little bit, not in a bad way by any means, but definitely was different. Um, yeah. So that was a kind of an interesting perspective when I was there in London, it's amazing how many athletes compete in the top competition in the world and do their best and are injured. And mm -hmm. it's kind of that mind over <laughs> mind mm -hmm. over body, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. you know what you can do. Sure. Your body has limitations. All of our bodies have limitations and it's really, it's, it's over, it's overpowering that and saying, mm -hmm. Hey, I'm not going to let this stand in my way. I'm going to still do the best that I can. Um, and it was just, it was honestly quite, it was, it opened my eyes a little bit to see how many people, you know, your, yeah, your body. I think a lot of people conceptualize Olympics, you know, and the Olympians are just at the very, very top of their game and they are, but it doesn't mean that they're not hurting. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean mm -hmm. that they're not struggling with X, Y, and Z, you know, cause we're humans, right? Yeah. <laughs> Things break. So, yeah, yeah, I think, I think a big part of that too, and it's a, it's an unfortunate um, part of it, but it's a, it's a once every four years kind of thing. Mm -hmm. We don't really see what most Olympic athletes are doing for the right. three years and 11 months gearing up to it. Let's call it the three years and nine months gearing up to most sports. Um, right. And then you kind of just, you're put on TV, a hundred million bajillion people watch you for a couple weeks and then it's over and we kind of again unfortunately forget about it um so it's just one of those right. things where it's um that's why i really started this project because i thought that's kind of ridiculous it's not like you're sitting on the couch you know it's not like you're doing nothing you got you're traveling constantly and going around the world and competing and doing all these things yeah. potentially getting injured um and all mm -hmm. these things are happening and it's um you know it's 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 yeah it's good to have a little insight i guess um mm -hmm. to get into it so sounds like you had a pretty good time at the 2012 games it, it is pretty it i guess it's unfortunate you get you have to miss the opening ceremonies because every athlete that's been to it has just told me it is the coolest thing in the world but at the same yeah. time it's it's an unfortunate um spot you're in because of course you're, you're there to compete and that's number one um right. and making sure that you do your best is obviously the the thing you have to do when you're there because mm -hmm. then you, it sounds like because i always remember like that first or second day there is no shooting after that, right? It's like very, very quickly it's done. And so then you get a lot of time to, for better or worse, I guess, call it hang out um, and right, just enjoy right. and experience the Olympics. So I guess there's yeah. a little double-edged sword there because not many other athletes get to do that. Um, mm -hmm. Not many other athletes mm -hmm. get to experience everything else the games have to offer. So mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. seems like a pretty solid trade if you ask me. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, like I said, totally fine with it. When I competed in um, Rio, which I know we're going to get to, I, you know, competed in the two different disciplines. Mm -hmm. um, and that's about five days in, I believe about five days in or so. Mm -hmm. So, and I think the, the final um, shooting sport competition is done about seven days into the Olympics. So like mm -hmm. you said, you know, it's a very quick time period. And the other really interesting thing, a lot of, I feel like a lot of people don't realize a lot of sports that are either, you know, like say soccer or, you know, um, let's see what would be a good example. Um, a lot of, I'm trying to think of a good one for London. 
um, like some of the rowing people, um, some of like the sailing, like a lot of the water sports, they come to that country and train, but mm-hmm. then they have to leave because the training venues are, are being used for other sports or different mm-hmm. things. So they actually will have to leave. And a lot of those athletes don't get to go to opening ceremonies because they're literally trainings elsewhere mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. be able to do their sport and then come back. Um, and that's, you know, that type of thing. So a lot of people don't realize like there's that group and there's a lot of people that are competing, you know, continuously. They're doing like like soccer would be an example of a sport where you're competing multiple rounds mm-hmm. and then you get to the finale and we only ever usually ever see most of the end you know mm-hmm. semifinals the finals etc but all those competitions leading up take mm-hmm. a lot of time and a lot of those athletes too like volleyball or whatever they're they have to miss certain mm-hmm. things and they're training the whole time they're not just competing that one day right exactly yeah. there there's a little more that goes into it so um mm-hmm. very cool glad you enjoyed the 2012 games i guess we can go to the 2016 games a little bit and before um you dive too deep into that um what was what was the difference in mindset in going into the 2016 games because not everybody gets to go to one olympic games let's remember that not mm-hmm. even less people get to go to two so <laughs> did you was there something either that you missed or you, um, I don't want to say regretted because obviously that's that's not the best part. But is there something from the 2012 games that you said, you know what? No, I really want to do that this time. Or I, I instead of doing this, I want to do that. What was kind of was there anything like that for the 2016 games compared to the 2012 games? Hmm. Or did you go in and you were just about that before? Was everything yeah. just the same? You thought, hey, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, right? Yeah, well, I definitely changed many elements to how I competed because, mm-hmm. like you said, it's it's four years of time. You you change as a person, as an athlete, in four years very significantly, and you should if you're going to continue to do well. You need to change. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyways, so you know, I think that is, you know, there's lots of elements that change. When and looking back, and I'm like, and I and I think about 2012, and I'm thinking about, um, you know, what maybe I thought then compared to 2016. I don't think there was really any regret. Mm-hmm. In, in any way, I think part of it was really just maturing, you know, being from age of um, 17 to then being, you know, 21, I think is a big age difference where mm-hmm. there was just a lot of different things I thought about differently, you know, in the way of what this means, you know, how am I going to approach, you know, that competition, the pressure, etc. cetera. Um, <clears throat> so I think that was the biggest thing, the biggest differences. And um, also too, it became kind of to a point where I knew myself, you know, I'd competed a lot more at that elite level. You know, I competed, I competed at, like I said, world championships, world cups, and many other, you know, seasons of, of competitions up to that point. And so just my international world was much more expanded. I was for confidence at that level, um, just maturing in age, getting years of experience, you know, four more years of experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so that was probably the biggest, biggest, biggest difference for me, the two. And uh, as a whole, that competition, you know, for me, I knew, so like I told you, you know, like I told you, I'm retired now. And I knew going into it due to the complications, um, I had 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 two back surgeries between 2012 and 2016. And so, you know, my doctors had told me, you know, this this is going to be your last round. If you want to pursue past this point, you're going to have to be some bionic woman or something like Mm -hmm. (laughs) your back won't take it anymore. And so that also changed my perspective. I knew I appreciated the moments. I think a little little bit more, you know, Um, I appreciated the moments where I got to share them with my family a little bit more just because I knew like, this is my last round. If I ever come back, it's going to be as a coach or it's going to be, you know, maybe when my own kids make the Olympic team, who knows, you know? Um, And so it's, it's a different perspective. 
in that way, just because I knew this was going to be my last round. Mm -hmm. And that's unfortunate. Um, but yeah. as, as athletes, we all know, and I say we, huh, um, you all know that, uh, that it's going to come to an end, unfortunately. I mean, that's just yeah. how it works being an athlete. I mean, your body's going to break down for the amount of time and energy you put into it. Um, it's just an unfortunate uh, necessity, I guess, at that point. But what, um, so then going to the competition side and, and really trying to tackle that side a little bit, how knowing that it was your last one was, was there any extra risks you took? Was there anything extra or, or maybe different that you did just to see what could possibly come from it, knowing that it was pretty much going to be your, your, your last few, uh, last few competitive shots? Yeah. I mean, I don't, I wouldn't say necessarily with risk, but I think it changed my perspective of, um, of how I trained, you know, I didn't, I didn't train to play it safe. I mm. trained to literally push myself to the very max, um, as much as my, my body could handle knowing that, you know, I also don't want to hurt myself right before. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> right. And so, um, and so that was kind of, that was kind of a different a little bit different for me um, before just because in 2012 it was more training through the NCAA world mm -hmm. and then I trained you know I was out of NCAAs and I was you know training just entirely leading up to that that one competition which again just for an athlete it, it's a bit of a shift mm -hmm. um, and I remember so one thing that I was doing um, before the it was a well, let's see a couple months before I actually um, made I broke the national record again um, and in doing that so we actually so let me back up a little bit the scoring system changed between the 2012 and 2016 Olympics and and what I mean it's scoring system changed it went from the same target but we began to use an electronic system so it's a system that reads the placement on the target through um, microphones and how what the technology allows you to do is it allows you to get a point value not just a 10.0 it's a 10.7 a 10.8 a 10.1 and so it that's the discrepancy to being literally a perfect shot is a 10.9 um, and so again just kind of pushing using that scoring system i was pushing myself to not just hit the 10 but hit as center as humanly possible every single time um and i broke the national record using that that center like i said that set that system um a couple months before and that was something that again one of those moments where i look back and i'm like you know i, I actually woke up with a migraine that day and mm -hmm. i was like you know i don't i don't care you know i can overcome this it's it is what it is, you know, again, mind, mind over body. And, uh, and I, I think that was a huge moment for me to understand what the four years has meant to me, you know, kind of pushing myself to the next level and just knowing that I can walk away so proud of my effort, my time, how much of my body even, you know, I've sacrificed for my sport. And I think that was what led up to my competitions at, at in in Rio was really just knowing, you know, I have worked so hard to get here and I deserve every single moment of this to not just be, you know, a high pressure or high expectation of, of, of level of competition excellence. It's more to enjoy being at that level, like knowing I am at that level and have it be a healthy pressure, mm -hmm. not a negative pressure, not like I'm going to mess up, but I've, I've earned this. And so I'm going to only expect the very best for myself mm -hmm. kind of a kind of idea. And that's where it really, it really changes. This is fear over here where you're talking about the negative thought, the pressure of, Oh, I'm going to mess up to no, I've, I've worked 
my butt off for this for however many years. So I got this. Mm-hmm. That's fantastic. Yeah. And I mean, again, you, you made it there. You deserve it. You can might as well think positive thoughts. Negative thoughts right. aren't going to get you anywhere. So I think that's They're incredible. Not- so um, yeah. again, two times going to the Olympics, that is just incredible so sarah thank you so much one more time for putting in all that time all that energy all that effort um, and representing us a couple different times on some uh some pretty incredible national and international stages um so uh, another topic that i want to talk about in the next couple minutes obviously there's only a few more um is the monetary aspects i like to ask a lot of olympians this question um hopefuls to people that have been on the team for a while so it's like just yourself um Obviously, I don't want to know how many dollars you made, but I'm just always curious. You know, we think of the Michael Phelpses, the Sean Whites, and I'm not trying to take anything away from them. The Lindsey Vons, the Chloe Kims, they deserve everything they get. Um, but I just like getting people to understand what it's actually like to be an Olympian because I feel like they're a little bit more of an exception to the rule than the rule itself. So not a really – it's just a very vague, broad question. Um, you can answer it however you like. I mean, what have you seen in that front and uh, specifically in your sport and also specifically yeah. being a, a, an Olympian and even a female Olympian? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think the most key, the key element to, to recognize is that most athletes, the amount that they're paid is below the property. It's, it's below minimum wage. It's if you look at like amount that they make per year, it's below the poverty line. And, and there's some things that you're, you know, like, for instance, I had the opportunity to live at the Olympic Training Center, which was really convenient. It saved money in that way. But I also, I always, after I graduated from college, I had to maintain a, you know, anywhere from part-time to full-time job to just make ends meet. And as if you're doing that, and then you're also trying to compete and then travel 24 seven practically, you know, there's not, thankfully I was really blessed to, to have a job that was flexible, that was able to work with me, but most athletes can't, you know, they're a, a typical job. Isn't going to allow you to go travel to mm-hmm. a world cup for two weeks and then come back. And then in a month you're gone for another two weeks. Um, and so there's a little bit, there's a space of time between when athletes can graduate from college where a lot of athletes are lost and then their, their potential is lost because there isn't that financial funding mm-hmm. to allow them to continue to pursue their sport and know that they're going to be able to pay their bills like car insurance, a phone, you know, not, not anything like living. I've, I've never met any athletes that really even live <laughs> out, like live any, do anything crazy. You know, mm-hmm. they don't live this lux lifestyle. It's just literally making ends meet. Um, you know, and like I said, I knew I was going to have to find that balance. So I pursued, you know, an academic, um, you know, career that I could do very well and could get, you know, have a full-time job part slash part-time job as I needed. Um, but like I said, not an opportunity isn't there for all athletes. And so that's where the challenge is, you know, um, you're not making any money that can, that can support a family that's not even on the radar. So a lot of, a lot of people don't get married. They don't have, they don't pursue that world of their life because they know, you know, yeah, I'm not able to afford to have kids. I'm not, I don't know, this wouldn't work. And so again, there's also for women too, there's that time frame of when, you know, having kids, you know, and competing in your sport is just really not possible. And even after they have kids, a lot of people don't go back again for the financial reasons. And you're just, again, losing so much potential, so so much for the U.S. athletes that we so much better that we could do if there was that financial support. Mm-hmm. Um, and that and that's just a bit of the dilemma. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's very unfortunate. It's frustrating from my standpoint um, because you know, like one thing, like injuries, like okay, it happens, yeah. it sucks. No one likes to see injuries; they're the worst. But 
you know, during that, as you called it, those couple years after college, kind of thinking about it, if you had an injury at that point, you're not getting any financial funding. You're really unable to, you know, get what you need at that point. That person's potentially never coming back. Um, mm-hmm. The fact that you are one of the best in the country at something, and at the same time, you have to have a, a part-time job or, or a full-time job to support training which should be your full-time job, right? Like that's the frustrating part to me considering like if we did have, and and obviously I understand not every athlete can be paid like a millionaire. I I, like, let's be honest about that. But as you said, just basic necessities, a cell phone, car payment, Mm -hmm. you know, you need normal things. And, you know, Mm -hmm. I've heard multiple athletes, they get paid $700 a month before taxes. So yes. it's even less than that after taxes. And your your tax is a contractor, so exactly. it's ten ninety nine, and mm-hmm. so it's double tax. Mm-hmm. And it's just like this whole <laughs> like this whole ridiculous, and it's just frustrating considering coming from, uh, you know how how much money the country has. And again, I understand there's there's many different sides to the story, but um, you know, obviously, I think taking the athlete side is is the only way to go because you're the ones competing, right? You're the ones um doing what you do. So it's just a frustrating conversation. It comes up twice. Yeah. Um, once every two years, um, yeah. Brian Gumble or someone on ESPN will write this story and everyone gets up in arms in the 24-hour news cycle and after the Olympics, no one cares. And then, hey, yeah. in two years again, did you guys know? It's like, well, yeah, we kind of did, but we forgot. <laughs> um, so hopefully yeah. by doing this, it's a little bit more of a slow drip and people really understand um, what yeah. you guys have to go through. Um, being elite athletes at the top of your game and still uh, needing to to train. I mean, you wouldn't expect mm-hmm. um, a football player to do that, right? Tom Brady isn't then nope. going out and getting a part-time <laughs> job so he can he can train. Nope. <laughs> um, you know, especially you being from the Massachusetts area. I mean, like right. like Mookie Betts is not again another mm-hmm. like he's not going out to get a part-time job so he can train for his full-time job. It just no. it just absolutely doesn't make sense to me. And um, again, many sides to the story, but hopefully, yeah. hopefully one of these days we'll be able to figure it out. But, um, <laughs> Unfortunately, that's just a part that I always like to bring up and, and get people to understand. But yeah. let's talk about you again. Let's get out of that. Let's go back <laughs> to some positives. You're retired, unfortunately. Fortunately, however you like to look at it. Right, you're right. I'm sure you didn't put down your gun for good. I'm sure you're still enjoying yourself every once in a while. But yes. um, tell us about retirement being uh, a registered dietitian, right? You told mm-hmm. us that. I was a little yeah. teaser. I like the way you did that. People are sticking <laughs> in. Um, so, yeah, just tell us about, I guess, life after your sport. It's been a little while now and really yeah. um, what you're pursuing moving forward. Because, again, yeah. I was born in 1991. So it's, it's crazy to me to think that you already retired from one career and you're getting to another. So please <laughs> right, let right. us, uh, let us in a little bit, Sarah. Yeah. Yeah. So like you said, I am young to retire, to retire from my sport. It's one of those sports where, you know, it's really actually you know, the possibility of competing for a very long time is there. Um, actually one of for to the 2008 Olympics, one of my friends, um, Warren Potent was one of the oldest athletes to compete in shooting. And then he also, in, in all the, in all of the Olympic sports and that those summer games of Beijing. And then, um, one of the youngest athletes we had on the USA team, um, I believe she was maybe 17 at the time. Um, and so it was again, that, you know, that span of age is just remarkable, right. Out of any sport. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's shooting is really cool and it has a lot of really interesting elements about that. Cause you, you go travel to a country or World Cup or whatever in another country, and you get to see all these people from all these ages competing, you know, it's cool. Anyways, um, so I am really young to retire, but like I said, I had those, you mm-hmm. know, some challenges yeah. with my back and all that jazz. So now, you know, I, um, 
I really, I've been very passionate about, uh, about the nutrition world and how that played a role into my athletics my whole life. Um, I've, you know, struggled, like I said, with anything from migraines to nutrition, you know, um, allergies, all those kind of things. And so it was something that I had to really take a look at the nutrition world at, a, at an early age to even pursue athletics and to be the best that I could. Um, and so that's kind of where that got me, you know, interested and started. And then I decided to become an RD, love the world of dietetics and nutrition. And I currently work for a couple different groups. Um, one specifically is working with diabetes prevention. So the national, so the CDC came up with this program that's called the National Diabetes Prevention Program, an awesome program. It talks about lifestyle change, really focusing on how somebody, you know, can take their their future, what they want it to look like for their health, and really get there through a step-by-step process. It's not a short-term diet. It's not this mm-hmm. quick and quick and you know then mm-hmm. only long you know then limited lasting thing. It's really about the long term. And for me as an athlete, honestly, how I how I even think about um, the people that I get to work with in the nutrition world is actually very similar. Because as an athlete, you're not in the next month. You're not going to the Olympics. It's about the long term. Mm-hmm. It's about working day to day, week to week towards your goals. And that's definitely how we should look at our health. If our health isn't where we want it to be. It's not, it's not too much to just set small goals and work our way up. Uh, so I bring a lot of that into my passion for what I do with, with my clientele. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I said also work with a couple other things actually just started working with Shackley um, and I'm actually mm-hmm. their, um, their dietitian for the pure performance team. Um, so I'm kind of like their contract, you know, a person to, if anybody has nutrition questions on the pure performance team, which is group of all Olympians. Um, and so that's going to be a really fun adventure as I'm kind of expanding that world a little bit. And I like to dabble. I like to dabble in uh, one of my new things is wilderness nutrition, as I like to mm-hmm. call it. So like I love getting out outdoors, backpacking, camping. And so how do you have a balance? you know, diet outside when cooking is very limited, you know, you don't have refrigeration, all that jazz. So Mm -hmm. I dabble. (laughs) Hey, it's more fun that way. I get, I get bored if I do the same thing for eight, nine hours a day. You gotta gotta try different things. You gotta play around a little bit. Those nine to fives, man. I don't know how people do it. More power to them. Um, But I just, uh, I couldn't do that. So you and I both at our, at our kitchen island standing and working. I love it. That's a good thought. Next time you're doing it, remember I'm right there with you just down here in New Jersey. Um, So a couple questions about that. I've heard of Shackley. I heard they have some really cool stuff. So you said the whole team is made up of Olympians? Yeah. So Olympians and Paralympians. Um, and so, you know, Shackley has this really cool um, element to it where, you know, because they have this peer performance team, but they, they hold their products to such a high standard that athletes can actually take them um, and be 100% confident when they're drug tested. So USADA, US mm-hmm. anti-doping, right? This is a big thing <laughs> that uh, for athletes, you know, when you're on the national team, the way it worked for me, for my every, every, you know, from 2010 to basically 2016 is I always have to be submitting these whereabouts. So every single, any day I could have, you know, have a requirement Mm -hmm. to do a P test, um, which that's a whole other funny story Mm. (laughs) when you're having somebody watch you try to go to the restroom. Um, Mm. But anyway, so there's this expectation of, you know, constantly your, your body's always examination that you're not doping, which doping shouldn't be a thing in any sports. It's crazy that it is. Um, But the challenge for athletes is that, there's very few, it's scary to take everything, anything from a multivitamin um, to, you know, anything else, you know, taking something when you get a cold, you know, even taking medications and things. It's scary because there, and when it comes to supplement world, it's not, it's not regulated by the FDA. 
um, in the same way that our prescription medications are. Mm -hmm. And so it's, again, you might take something you don't mean to, but it's still completely account, you know, discounts you from your sport and you can't compete for however long, you know, mm -hmm. they decide whether it was on purpose or not on purpose. But again, terrifying as an athlete, especially right before Olympics or whatever mm -hmm. else. And so, you know, Shackley is one, one of the very few and definitely the best on the, in the market of just products that are available for athletes that give you a support across the nutrition world, as well as just general health. And you can be very, be very confident in everything that you put on your skin because your skin absorbs right, right what you're putting on. So that's also a thing, you know, what kind of lotion does an athlete get to buy? It, you know, that's a complicated issue. Um, every, all that kind of jazz. So it's, it's a really cool, really cool group. That is pretty awesome. I'm glad to see yeah. that there. Hey, a couple more Olympians with jobs. Unfortunately, I wish that they were training, but hey, I understand what they need to do and have to go okay. through. So I think that mm -hmm. that's pretty cool. Good for you on that one. And then my final question. Yeah. Can I eat eggs? Are they good or are they bad? <laughs> like, I, I feel like they flip flop like every other yeah, week. Like, uh, are eggs okay? Yeah, are eggs okay? So yes, they are okay. okay good. Thank you. I eat like I eat a couple a week. Like, I'm not crazy about it, but like an omelet for breakfast is kind of nice, right? No, it is. It is. If you want to make an egg a little bit healthier, you can take out the yolk, mm -hmm. um, because because it's going to be made mostly than just protein. But really, the yolk it's it is high in it in cholesterol, that fat of cholesterol. Um, but if you're doing other things to counteract that, one having you know cardiovascular exercise that's going to improve your HDL, which is your good cholesterol. That's going to help take negative cholesterol out mm -hmm. as well as just having a general balanced diet, you know, everything in moderation. Um, and so really being able to have some things thrown in there that have a little cholesterol are not going to be the end all be all for you. Awesome. If you're doing everything else that you need to as well. I run like three or four days a week. Now that it's cold, I sit on my uh, inside bike. Um, and just so all the listeners, cause I'm sure they're really curious. Um, <laughs> I eat a lot of green things. I feel like the greener, the better. Good. So I eat a lot of that yes. too. So not yes. too bad. So awesome. Um, awesome. That's a good way to end this conversation. I think <laughs> Sarah share one more time, USA shooting two-time Olympian, incredible all-around person, registered dietitian. If anyone has any questions, all of her information will be in the show notes. I promise you guys that. So Sarah, thank you so much one more time. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Michael. Appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening to this episode with Sarah. Huh? See? This episode with Sarah Scherer. Wow. I thought I was going to do it, but I couldn't. Sarah was super cool. As I said, as you got to hear, she's an incredible person, had a lot of stuff going on, and really just has so much more ahead of her. So I'm super excited that she's been able to find something that she loves to do after her sport because that is a, it, it's a tragedy kind of with a lot of Olympic athletes. So it's very sad. So hope you guys enjoyed that episode. Thank you so much. If you don't mind, follow Sarah on all of her socials. Follow us at ourathletes.us on Instagram, at ourathletesusa on Twitter. Check out the website, www.ourathletes.us. Shoot me an email, michael at ourathletes.us if you have anything to say. Please rate, comment, review, subscribe, share, like, I don't know, do whatever you have to do. Just push it out there a little bit more so our Olympic athletes can be a little more recognized as they deserve. So thank you so much, and I hope you have a wonderful day.